0: Please open your Bibles. We will be back in the book of Second uh, Samuel today, Second Samuel in chapter 7. Many of you know that Denise and I, along with Wynne and Shirley Leslie, just returned from Cuba. That's where we were the last week. And we got the chance to, well, be with the people of Cuba. We got a chance to teach. We got a chance to love. Wynn even had the chance to, you know, he's a builder. In fact, I have a picture of us on the tarmac in Holguin, uh, Cuba, where we flew in. And that's us on a windy day as we arrived, and Winn is a builder, so he even had the chance to go into a rural area and help to build a church using some cinder blocks. And I told uh, Cynthia Cotero a story this morning about uh, the man who was the brick mason that was helping them. You just need to know Cuba's in a bad spot right now. Lots of people that are searching for food each day, lots of people that are searching for medicines, they're very short on things, even at hospitals like syringes. And that day when we were getting ready to, or when was getting ready to build that part of the house, or the, the church rather, uh, the mason was there and he said, after about two hours of work, I'm sorry, but I have to go. And they said, well, why do you have to go? We just kind of got started. And he said, I have to go because I have a daughter that's sick at home and I've got to go look for food today. And that's the state of Cuba right now. Uh, there's a shortages of so many things and Cubans in general are very fearful of even getting sick because they say we don't know what's gonna happen at the hospital and whether or not they will even have the supplies in order to uh, help us. We were a great blessing to the church in Cuba. We brought over 400 pounds of goods that we distributed to friends that we know and uh, individuals in the city where we were, And we would love to tell you more stories about that. In fact, next slide, I've got a time for a Cuba update. It's gonna be on Sunday, March 12th, next Sunday, 6 p.m. in the evening uh, at the ministry center we 'll take some time to tell you some stories that I know will well some of them will make you weep, and other ones will uh, make you just soar with what God is doing in the midst of a lot of chaos in that country and so we will have more stories to tell you about real lives, real people, and how God is doing his work so we 'd love to invite you next Sunday at the Ministry Center. I want to also take the opportunity to thank two individuals that preached while I was gone. For the first time, you had a chance to hear Pastor Jason Lowe. I don't know where Jason is right now, but I want to give a shout-out to Jason. Uh, He is a pastor, a previous youth pastor in in Southern California, and he's got an MDF degree. I just had heard him speak enough that I was like, I know this guy can do a good job. And I listened to him this week, and the boy can preach, all right? (laughs) The boy can just flat-out preach. So I will, yeah, let's give him a round of applause. I appreciated that. Uh, I'll be making sure that he gets many more chances to be with you again because I just enjoyed him so much. And then Pastor Eric was with you last week too, goes without saying, very capable man, loves the word of God, loves, your, loves the people of God, and so uh, again, he did an admirable, admirable job last week. Well, we're picking up today, and we're picking up where Pastor Eric left off. Pastor Eric left off last week In 2 Samuel chapter 1, that marks a big change in the whole arc of the story because Saul's no longer king. David is now the king. He's the undisputed king. He's waited so long for it. And David's first job in 2 Samuel chapter 1 last week with Eric was to mourn. He mourned the king that had died. And why mourn a king that was out to kill you? I mean, that's the story, right? That's the conundrum. And David saves Saul's life, and he's chasing him all over. Saul dies in battle along with his son, Jonathan, and his first job is to mourn. And, of course, he takes some action against the guy that delivers the message. But David is in this period of saying, I'm now the king, so what am I going to do with it? We're going to pick up this week with what he does with it. But there's two instances that have happened previously that skip from chapter one to chapter seven that I need to tell you about in order to make sure the context is clear. One of them is David goes and conquers Jerusalem. It is under the Jebusites. He conquers them swiftly and now Jerusalem is his and it will become the capital of his nation. Secondly, he brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. We aren't gonna cover that either. I wish we had time for it because it's such an electric story. But remember, the Ark of the Covenant, that's where God chooses to dwell in the Holy of Holies. Inside the Ark of the Covenant is the bits and pieces of the Ten Commandments and Aaron's budding staff that is a testimony to God's work. And that little box they take out in battle, but then they take it back and they put it in the Holy of Holies. And David goes and parks that in Jerusalem. And so we need to understand that in order to make sense of today. David is making big plans right now. David is calculating, what am I going to do next in my kingdom? What am I going to do that's going to change the landscape of Jerusalem and potentially change the landscape of my entire legacy as now the king over Israel? Let's hear about David's plans, and let's hear about, better yet, God's plans. And I need to let you know as we're reading chapter 7 uh, many consider the passage we're reading t- right now today to be one of the most important and instrumental in all of the Old Testament. The, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, could have never guessed what God is ready to say right now and what God says right now in this passage reverberates throughout all now of the centuries since Christ came and will reverberate in, throughout all of eternity to come. So this is pivotal. This passage is pivotal to what God is doing in our world today. We pick up 2 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, "'Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, (laughs) "'Would you build me a house to dwell in? I in I, "'I have not lived in a house since the day "'I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, "'but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. "'In all places where I have moved with all people of Israel.'" Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your own body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son." When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before ever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. A few years ago, Denise and I were chatting with my son and new daughter-in-law who live in Los Angeles. We are doing FaceTime, so you know you can see the video image along with talk with them. And behind them was something very interesting. Behind them was a vacant parking lot. In fact, it was at Angel Stadium. And they were talking to us as behind them, there were cars that were going through a road track. My son was talking and saying, as the wheels were spinning behind him and engines were revving and rubber was all over the place, my son was looking at that and saying, wouldn't it be cool for us to have a chance to drift in one of the cars like that. And the car was going around the turn and doing the drift motion and, you know, taking off. And he was talking more about what it would feel like to drive in one of those cars. And Stephanie, his wife, had been fairly silent up to that time. And as he's going on about getting in the car and driving that, she says, we're not doing that. (laughs) That became a joke in our family. We're not doing that. I say to Denise... Let's go skydiving. We're not doing that. I say to Denise, let's get get the double nachos with chili. We're not doing that. I say to Denise, you know, I've always dreamt of being a Navy chaplain. I think I'm signing up. We're not doing that. Most of the time, I really don't think I'm going to do that either, but I'm just kind of razzing her because I want to see how she's going to respond to that. We're not, yeah, we're not doing that is God today to David. David has these massive plans, and God says, yeah, we're not doing that. And all the plans that David has put into motion, plans that he likes, plans that he thinks are a great idea, God is saying, that's not my plan. And what I want to talk to you today about is why God changes our plans We have great plans. We have plans that we think are really cool. We have plans that make all kinds of sense to us. And we think should probably make sense to God, too. And God says, yeah, we're not doing that. And he changes our plans. Why does God change our plans? That's what I want to talk to you about today. First off, we often have logical and well-intentioned plans. That was David. David had his own plans. David had made sense of why this was a great idea for him to build a house for God, and it made perfect sense for where David was. The story says David came out of his house. He looks across now his brand new city that's now at peace. He's not at war anywhere. And he looks at where he lives. And he's got now a palace that's pretty hopping and pretty cool. He's got a cool crib, as it were. And he comes out of his house. And he looks across now to the little, uh, the little it's, a, it's a hut or a, or a little tent where God's dwelling is with the ark. And he goes, man, there's a disparity here. I'm living in the lab of luxury. And look at what God's living in. I think I need to do something about that. And so I'm going to build a house for God. And he goes to Nathan the prophet, tells Nathan the prophet, this is what I'm planning to do. And Nathan, Nathan the prophet does not pray about this. What? Come on, Nathan, man, that's your job is to ask God, is this a good idea? But Nathan says to David, go forth. This is a great idea. Do whatever your, your hand seems to want to do And, you know, Nathan's going to get caught up short that night. But right now, David is on a roll, and he's thinking, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing and what I want to do. I'm just here to tell you, here's what great kings do. Great kings make a legacy for themselves. Great kings, in the ancient times, made monuments or they made temples. Great kings built temples to their gods. And so David is falling in line with that, and he's saying... If I'm going to be a great king, I've got to leave a, leave a great monument, a great temple that is a dedication to my God. And so he's acting like the nations right now. That's what great kings still do today. When we were in Turkey back in November, we went to one of the great monuments to the president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. I have a picture of it here. And Erdogan is in the bottom right-hand corner. Erdogan has now ruled in Turkey for 20 years And one of the things that he's done all across Turkey is he's built mosques. That's what he wants to build as his memory and his legacy to the nation is mosque after mosque after mosque. And this mosque is the one that was just completed in 2021. It's called the Jamlika Mosque and we had a chance to tour it. It's in Istanbul. It sits up on the top of a mountaintop where you can see it from all over the city and it is a massive structure. 60,000 people can be in that mosque at any given time. And so it's just, it's on a grand scale you really can't even imagine. I'm here to tell you great kings build great temples or great monuments. And in this case, in Erdogan's case, it's a tribute to himself, really. It's a tribute, a tribute to Erdogan the Great. You're always going to remember the great Erdogan who was the leader who built this uh, edifice and at least in David's heart, that's what David is feeling is, well, this is the right time for this. I've got peace, I've got prosperity, I've got all the materials. It's a great thing for me to now build a temple for God and a place for this ark that's in this little, this little tent over here. this little shabby tent. It's time for us to rectify that and make this better. And so again, Nathan doesn't talk to God before he says to David, go ahead. And David, Nathan is gonna get caught up short when God says, uh, not so fast. All right, the second thing I want you to see, God changes David's plans because God is not subject to anyone. The rest of the passage is all about the story now that God is telling to Nathan and saying to Nathan, tell this to David. And he starts off by saying, David, I want you to remember that all the way since I took the people out of Egypt, I I have lived in a tent, and it's my idea to live in a tent. I've liked living in a tent. I've taken the people. It's been portable. It's been great. While we were in the wilderness, while we were all over the promised land as we were conquering, I lived in a tent, and there was not one time, David, that I ever asked any of those that were rulers to build me a house. I never asked that. And David, by the way, I want to remind you of something about you. You were a little shepherd boy when I found you. You had no aspirations to be a king. There was nothing in you that should have been king material. But I came to you, the lowly shepherd boy, and I said, I've chosen you. And I want you to remember, David, your position. I want you to remember, David, who's in charge here. Because if I had wanted ever to build a house, I could have done that. But I had chosen to stay in the tabernacle. My idea And it was very functional and it worked for what I wanted to accomplish. David, you got to remember who's in charge. You have the minor role while I have the major role. There is a commercial that was maybe 10 years ago or so at a Super Bowl. It's one that's iconic. It's one of my favorites. And I've queued it up for you here today. Think about who's really in charge as you watch this. one of my favorite Super Bowl commercials of all time the little guy is just so surprised but the part I want you to hear in that is he really didn't have the power all along he was subject to dad's power right and so many times we can convince ourselves that you know we've got the best plan we've got the things that really are going to matter and God's saying remember your place you're under my you're under my care. You're under my direction. You're under my vision, not your vision. And David had to remember that as he was in this moment, thinking of such great things for God, but God said, you're subject to me. I will never be subject to you. And so the story goes on. Third, God changes David's plans because God's plans are always bigger. And I want to move to the one sentence in this passage, this great passage that's probably the most instrumental It's verse 11, and this is what it says. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. David, you think you're building a house for me. In truth, I'm building a house for you. And that's the change in the whole story here is that David thinks, oh, man, let me go do something great for God. And all along, God is saying, no, David, it's going to be something I'm doing for you. There's a play on words here. David is thinking in his mind, architecture, building. I'm gonna build a great building for God. God is saying, no, I'm using house in a little different way. And I'm using house to mean uh, not a physical home or a physical temple, but a legacy or a dynasty or a perpetual rulership. And what God has in mind here is so much better than any building that could ever be built. It's a building that's not subject to decay, It's a building that can't be knocked down with an earthquake. It's a building that will never fade with its glory. It's a building that God is putting in motion that is, again, this legacy or this dynasty that is a forever kind of dynasty. And David is told by God, I'm making your name great right now. Right now, people are going to remember you, David, for this very moment because something is happening out of your family, out of your lineage that will be forever God's plans are always bigger than our plans. (laughs) We make plans, and and that's not wrong to do that, but we just got to hold them very loosely in our hands because God's plans are always better than ours. I've got to take you back to 20 years ago, and 20 years ago was when Denise and I were starting the process of leaving Colorado. It was a painful one. I can remember March being one of the months where I sat on the second story of our house and I looked out over the snowy landscape of Denver and I knew that I probably was never going back to my church again. I'm here to tell you, uh, there was no moral failure. I didn't steal any money. I didn't do any of those things. But it was one of those times in church in which you no longer have the same vision. I'd really fallen out of step with the senior pastor and that was the death of that. And so again, we were coming to the spot where we're saying, we're probably not raising kids here any longer in Colorado, and we're going somewhere else. We had a map out as a family in which we prayed over the map for each place where I was now seeking to be a, a pastor. And little did we know that Edmonds, Washington would be the place where we would come. We came here, and we found out that we, yes, I, I, I love that too. I came here and fell in love with the people of CCF. At that time, this building was not renovated. It was pretty dilapidated, to be honest with you. But we knew that there was some kind of chemistry there. And this is a picture of Denise and me, our very first uh, uh, October here. It was Halloween, and we were at the bowling lanes with the family, or the church family. And that's kind of how young we were at the time. Did, Did we have any idea all that God would do Here with us, no. Never never could have dreamt that. Never could have imagined that. Never could have imagined that this year I'd be in Istanbul and this year I'd be in in Cuba and, and all the things that are kind of happening within the church and all the things that, people that are being raised up and people that are being changed, people that are coming to know the Lord. Never, ever could have imagined that. And it's a reminder to me for each phase of our lives. We got plans. Don't stop making plans. But boy, pay attention to where God wants to interject himself and put some of his plans in motion because those will always be better. All right, one more thing I want you to see. God changes David's plans because all of God's plans are fulfilled in Christ. And this passage has one of the greatest descriptions of Jesus as Messiah in the entire Old Testament we find out that ultimately all that God has planned is being fulfilled in this passage right now. They would have to wait a 1,000 years from the time at which this is spoken to where Jesus shows up. And Israel is saying, wow, we're expecting Messiah. We don't know what he's gonna be like. But all of the plans that are in this passage today are being fulfilled in Christ. Let me quickly go through just a a few of them. This is uh, uh, verses 12 to 16, And one of the things he says is, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. David, from your loins, from your progeny, from generations from now, there will be one from your family that's going to be this one that's going to fulfill this. Sound familiar? Yeah, it, it should because it's a point to say in the genealogy of Christ that he came from the lineage of David. Two, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So yes, there will be one of your ancestors that builds a house for me. That's Solomon, not David. But I'm going to establish my kingship and my rulership in this one that will be a forever rulership. Number three, I'll be to him a father and he shall be, he shall be to me a son. And this is the very designation that Jesus takes for himself is the Son of Man and the Son of God. Number four, if you give me the next slide. I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. It's a foreshadowing of the the, the, uh, nature in which Jesus is going to be treated. And he's going to be treated with a great level of of, uh, disdain and, 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 and harshness. Number five, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul. I departed from Saul. I took my spirit away from Saul. David, I'm not doing that with you. I'm going to remain with you. And we're going to find out David probably deserves God to actually to depart from him. In coming weeks, we're going to find out his great folly and his great sin. But God says, I'm staying with you, David, through this. And he stays with, obviously, Jesus also. Number six, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so it's a everlasting kingdom that's being established in this passage and that's being fulfilled in Christ uh, the one that we know and we read about in the scriptures nobody saw this coming nobody saw a Messiah like this and yet this was the perfect fulfillment for all that God had planned um, was not man's plan but it was God's plan praise God today that he dashed David's plans We're forever grateful that David didn't get his way, but God got his way because the building was never what God most highly uh, wanted. He he wanted a people. And he he was building a spiritual house, a spiritual temple. That is what is most uh, important to God. And God stands ready to change our plans at any moment. God stands ready to say, I am going to change your plans. And at first blush, you might say, oh, no, I don't want that. But given the stretch of time, you may say, whoa, some things happened to that that I never could have imagined that you'd be doing. So where do you have plans in motion right now? Maybe a certain degree that you want. Maybe a certain award that you hope to achieve. Maybe a person that you hope to date or a person you hope to marry, perhaps. Maybe a job that you would love to have. Maybe a retirement that you imagine. All of those may be dreams that God grants. They may be. But all of them may be dreams that are also upended and changed in some way. And when that happens, hold on tight. Because at that very moment, God is replacing perhaps your smaller dreams with something that are much bigger dreams that He has for you. Dreams that are more robust, dreams that well, you could never imagine. Whenever God changes your plans, it's for His glory and for your benefit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you changed David's plans. We're thanking you today that said, you said at that moment, yeah, we're not doing that. And you put in motion something, huh, wow. Something that we still are grappling with what it all means. What does this never ending kingdom mean? And how does Jesus usher that into our corrupt and dark world? We're longing for that. And we see just the first hints of that here, and it's just so enticing. And now we see that being marched out with the life of Jesus and the life of Jesus is now being lived out all over the world as people are called to him. We pause to worship you today, Lord, for your greater plans because they are greater, they're bigger, and they're more robust because you're the one behind them. And so we pray, Lord, that you would ready our hearts today so that when you change our plans, it's not filled with, we're not filled with despair, but we're filled with hope because there's greater things that are happening all around us. We pause to worship you, the one that has history in his hand, and we pray this in Christ's name, amen.